You are listening to The Adventures of Sariputta and Mogolana. I'm your host, Morris Sullivan. Today I'm going to talk to you about authenticity. But first, I want to tell you about a miser who lived in a village near Rajgir. This man, called Kolsia, was so stingy that he rarely parted with anything that belonged to him. But one day he and his wife were making sort of a flatbread, something like pancakes. They were doing it in an upper floor of their home so that no one else could see them, and then they wouldn't be asked to share anything. Well, the Buddha knew that despite Kosia's stinginess, he and his wife were good people at heart and devout, and he felt that they could attain some awakening with just a little help. And so he sent Mogalana to visit them and asked him, bring them back to the monastery in time for the midday meal. Mogalana went to their house and he stood outside a window until Kosia saw him. The rich miser called down to Mogalana and asked him to leave, but the venerable monk simply stood there without saying anything. So Kosia told his wife, look, make a very small cake and give it to that monk so he'll leave us alone. So she took a small piece of the dough, put it on the griddle, and immediately it rose up to fill the entire pan. Kosia saw this and he said, you used way too much dough. So he took a tiny pinch of dough and put it in the pan and it too immediately grew to a huge size. The couple kept trying to make a very small cake to give to Mogolana, but whatever little bit of dough they used, the pancake would become enormous. So Kosia finally said to his wife, well, just give him one of the pancakes and send him on his way. But when she tried to do that, all the pancakes in the basket stuck together and couldn't be pulled apart no matter how hard she tried. By then, Kosia was so frustrated with the whole thing that he decided he would just give a whole basket of pancakes to Mogolana. In response, Mogolana gave the couple a short Dharma talk on charity. And then he said that the Buddha and 500 monks were waiting at the monastery for them to join him there. He asked them, come on back to the monastery with me. So Kosia and his wife accompanied Mogalana back, and when they got to the monastery, they offered the basket of pancakes to the Buddha and his monks. After the meal, the Buddha gave them a Dharma talk, and they both became stream enterers. They reached the first stage on the path to awakening. The next evening, some monks were praising Mogalana for his wisdom in this event. The Buddha overheard, and he said that, like Mogalana, they should all receive offerings from villagers without affecting either their devotion or their livelihood. As a bee collects nectar and then flies away without damaging the flower, its color, or its scent, he said, so should a monk pass through a village without affecting the faith, the generosity, or the wealth of the villagers. So I want to start by reading you a poem. It's very short, very short. Showing front, showing back, maple leaves fall. That's it, I'll repeat it. Showing front, showing back, maple leaves fall. So I'll return to this as we go along. But I started thinking about this poem one day recently after I went to the, to the grocery store and everyone was wearing masks again. And it reminded me about how we use masks 
not physical masks, but more mental or spiritual masks to disguise our authentic self from one another and even from ourselves sometimes. You could say we wear masks to hide our true self even from ourselves. So we're very creative, we humans, and not always in good ways, sometimes in good ways, not always. We're capable of rationalizing actions that we know really well are wrong. We're capable of hiding truth from ourselves, and sometimes in really elaborate ways. And I think a lot of our problems come from misidentifying with a self. We pick some characteristic that we have or that we think we have, and we build our self-image around that. And we'd be a lot better off if we stopped trying to do that and just look at what we do and not what we think we are. So to discover our true self, it helps if we start by thinking about what it means, a self. And more accurately, we have to look at the illusion that there is a self that somehow is our own. So I'll read you a quote that's kind of interesting. A human being is part of a whole called by us universe, a part li limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is kind of a prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature and its beauty. Nobody is able to achieve this completely, but the striving for such achievement is in itself a part of the liberation and foundation for inner peace. So that quote, which could have come from the Buddha or some enlightened Zen master, is actually by Albert Einstein. It's interesting to see that this famous physicist was pointing out the role of the idea of a discrete, separate self imprisons us in our suffering. And it's interesting to see that he believed that boundless compassion was the way to free ourselves from that prison. By the way, he said in another letter uh, about that same time that this striving to free oneself from the illusion of separateness is the one issue of true religion. And you see that a lot in Buddhism, where the realization of oneness is an important component of our practice. So we probably don't think of our self-identity as an optical delusion very often. When I look in the mirror, I see someone looking back at me that I recognize, and I don't see that as a delusion. But the question of whether or not we have a self um, actually seems to have little to do with how we live our day-to-day -day lives for the most part. But then maybe we take a little hit to our self-esteem and we'll we feel bad a result. Or like you might go to a costume party and put on a mask on purpose because you want to and experience some pleasure from being able to drop out of our self for a moment and be someone different. And so you think about it that way, then maybe that question about self isn't just irrelevant, you know, airy-fairy stuff. This debate about the nature of self was going on in India 2,500 years ago when the Buddha was alive. And in fact, his second major sermon after he set forth the middle way explained that our identification with what we mistakenly think of as a self is often a cause of stress. 
And much of Buddhist practice is aimed at helping us let go of our mask and look into the mirror that reveals our true face. So if I ask you, if I went around and asked each of you, do you know who you are? You'd probably say, well, of course I do. But if you start asking that question and digging deeper and deeper for an answer, you'll find that that's a lot more complex than it seems on the surface. So we chant the Heart Sutra here every Sunday. It's one of the key Buddhist scriptures, and it's actually part of a very large collection of writings called the Perfection of Wisdom. And this one fairly short piece that we chant is considered the heart of this collection because it contains the core teaching. And that core teaching is the teaching on emptiness, specifically emptiness of self. You can't just be empty, you have to be empty of something. If you empty a glass, you know, it's still got air in it, and still got shape and that kind of thing, but it's empty of whatever you had in it. So in the Buddhist view, we're a collection of processes that are always changing, always in flux. And the sense that we have a self arises when we start identifying with the patterns that these processes make. So when we start asking the question, who am I? We see that we build up an identity around certain patterns that really are, don't have any substance in and of themselves. No more than the idea of front or back has to a falling maple leaf. Showing front, showing back maple leaf falls. But to the leaf, there's no difference. Yet we often grasp onto false identities or identities built on this illusion. And in the result, we create a lot of difficulties for ourselves. So when you start looking into this question about identity, we'll find often that we can start discarding some of the answers, not only as illusory, but perhaps stressful. If you fail at something and you see yourself as a failure, that's stressful. If you fail at something and see that as part of the process of exploration, that's not stressful. So it's when we start to identify and go, oh, look how bad I am. Then that's where we start to create stress. Also, when you start to look into a self in terms of what you do, you might see that you have qualities that you neglect or ignore or don't pay attention to, but that with some polishing might be very useful. So that poem about the leaf is, a, this is an old Japanese poem. And um, Gyome Kabose, who was one of the teachers in my lineage, quoted it in an essay about living an authentic life. And in that essay, he compares our view of ourself to gardening. He says, a lot of the time we're like, we're keeping the front yard clean and nice, but piling up a big mess out back where nobody will see it. By the way, that's pretty much what my yard looks like right now. <laughs> but a, a truly authentic person, when it comes to what you present to the world, there is no front and no back. The idea is that if we live an authentic life, if we lead our lives as freely as maple leaves fall, free from secrets and pretense and all of that, then there's no need to cling to this artificial idea of front and back. We can let go of prejudices and preconditions that we use to obscure our experience from ourselves, and then we can live more fully. So, you know, last week I talked about Tathagata, and I mentioned the word suchness, and suchness simply means things as they are, life as it is. It's reality without any artificiality, 
without any makeup, without judgments about what should and shouldn't be and that sort of thing. And I mentioned this uh, Zen koan where Amalkis told, show me the face you had before your mother and father were born. In other words, if we apply this idea of suchness to our self, we see our face without a mask, the face that we wore before we started adding shoulds and shouldn'ts and wantas and must be's and all that kind of stuff and simply accepted ourselves and our world as they are. Now that doesn't mean that you just give in to stuff or that you'll be defeated by the way things are. It means recognizing life as it is. And when we do that, then we don't have to show a front and a back. We can be honest with ourselves. There's nothing to hide when we're sincere. We can live naturally without pretense and live authentically. This doesn't negate the importance of living a good life and cultivating a good character. Buddhism encourages the development of a strong character. We're urged to develop skills like kindness and mindfulness and per perseverance and compassion. And we recognize these qualities though as means to awakening. They're actually things we do. If you say I'm a compassionate person, unless you act compassionately toward others, you've just created one of those delusions of self. When you act compassionately in the world, you don't have to define yourself as compassionate or not. You just live compassionately. And that living compassionately is what frees you. The way Einstein said that when we act with compassion in the world, we liberate ourselves from this prison of self-identity. So these things are not things to be worn. They're not things to be put on as embellishments to our ego. They're things to be done. Even our identity as Buddhists, even our identity with our practice can actually be a trap. So you might notice in the, in the opening incense offering, say precepts incense, samadhi incense, wisdom incense, those are things we do. Those are actually practices that we do. Those are our different uh, sort of categorizations of parts of the Eightfold Path. And then I say liberation incense. That's when, you know, those things go all the way through and they free us from this, the prison of our coming and going to suffering. And then liberation of views incense. Did you ever think about what that meant? Even our views about our practice can hang us up, can keep us tied to things. It's very interesting that Venerable Kaitian included that in the liturgy here because you don't always see it. And I really, was really impressed when I saw that. So you've heard the word Dharma. Dharma means different things in different contexts. In one way, it means the Buddha's teachings. In another way, it means the path leading to liberation. And in yet another way, it is truth itself. So in, a, in, in that sense, the Dharma is not the Buddhist truth. It's just truth. Buddhist, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, so on. Those are human concepts, just as the idea of front and back are human concepts. And we need concepts to be able to communicate with one another. And we can use concepts like that as tools, as windows through which the truth can be revealed. But if we're not careful, our view can be clouded by our own misperceptions and misjudgments. So the Dharma can be revealed by the Dharma. In other words, truth can be revealed by the practice. 
Or if we cling to it too strongly, the Dharma can be concealed by the Dharma. Let that sink in for a minute. So we don't even want our ideas about clinging about practice to get in the way of living an authentic life. So the Buddha was asked about processes for living more authentically. How do you do it? And the first thing I've already talked about, practicing kindness and compassion. Stop to be grateful for what we have, to be glad that we have this opportunity to live as human beings, that we have the capacity to think about things like this, that we have the good karma that got us to the point where we could want to come here and listen to teachings like this one, and then try to see ourselves clearly. Very often, we mistake our face for our true, for mistake our masks for our true face. And we need to be able to see ourselves clearly, to look behind the ways we hide ourselves from ourselves. So you could say we have three faces. There's the mask that we show others, the face that we think everyone sees. We could call that our self-image. And then there's our reputation, which is the mask that others actually see. It's their image of us. That's not our true character either. It's more like a mask that others put over our face before they look at us. And then there's our character. I have an old friend who's a business consultant who um, works with a lot of family enterprises and he, and he talks to him about character. And he says, character is what we do when we think nobody's watching. Integrity is what happens when all three of those are pretty well aligned. And trying to align those is a really interesting practice. It's a, a lot more difficult than it sounds. You really have to work at it. But when we start looking at ourself in the context of suchness and integrity and things like that, we, we have to be aware of our, our limitations, some of which are self-imposed, but we also all have limitations. We can't be something that we're not. A rose can't be a tulip, and it doesn't need to be. It's just fine being a rose. And part of our job is to accept what we are. If we can't do that, that's a problem. We could feel let down. But we're not stuck with much of what we are. On Thursday nights right now, the, I have a study group that's meeting on Zoom, and we're reading... Uh, reading this book called Lao Fan's Four Lessons. And it's talking about, and it's a 400-year-old book that comes from China, and it's talking about being able to transcend your destiny. And, but destiny doesn't really come up in a Buddhist context very much because the Buddha didn't talk about it, really. But there's this idea, you know, that we are who we are, and we're kind of stuck with that. And this book starts out talking about that, and then it talks about how to transcend that. So the karma from our past, the things that we've done, and you know the conditions that we were born into, and the culture that we're in, all those kinds of things have defined us up to a certain point. But we're not stuck with that. We have the capacity to change, because our actions in the here and now Chain affect what's going to happen to us in the future. So since we're not a fixed self, stuck with some preordained dis destiny, we can let go of processes that we've been clinging to that keep us from being able to embrace our authentic nature. 
So we go back to Einstein. He said something about the value of a human being, and he said it's determined primarily by the measure and the sense in which we have obtained liberation from the self. And that's one purpose of living a spiritual life, to take measure of ourself and then free ourselves from anything that's been holding us stuck. So in, in parts of Southeast Asia, Buddhist temples are referred to as Wat, W-A-T. The word Wat has another meaning too. It refers to a measuring stick. So as a temple, a temple is a place where you go so you can measure yourself and your practice against the ideal represented by awakening, by Buddha in the larger sense of the word. So I read this Jap a story about a Japanese man once who was, it's kind of a good example of what I mean by this. And this man's son was always criticizing him for going to the temple so often, making donations and all of those things. Uh, the man was very religious, but his son had studied science at the university and he had attained some advanced degrees and he thought religion was kind of a waste of time. And so he was pressuring his father to stop going to the temple and wasting his time and money on something that he saw as being so pointless. And his father said, all right, tell you what, I'll stop going to the temple if you'll do this one thing for me. For two weeks, keep a diary of everything you do, say, and think. And at the end of that two weeks, show me the diary. Well, and he said if his son did that honestly and sincerely, he'd stop going to the temple. And the son said, okay, that's fine. And he agreed that he would do what he was asked. And so he started keeping this diary. And he was being very straightforward and very thorough, writing everything down. And after a few days, he looked over what he had written, his chronicle of all of his actions of body, speech, and mind. And that's a record of his karma, you know. Our karma is, karma means actions. And it's willful action of body, speech, and mind. And so he's looking at this record of his karma and he realized he was not nearly as perfect as he thought he was. And so he went to his father and he admitted this. He said, I thought I was so good, but when I was honest with myself, he says that I realized there's no way I could show you my journal. And his father said, that's okay. Everybody thinks they're better than they are. But when we look closely, we see our self-deception and our selfishness. And he said, that's why I go to the temple, not to show off how religious I am or make merit and all that stuff, but to look honestly at myself. He was measuring his acts against the Dharma, against his highest values and his greatest purpose. And he said, when he's realistic about his own shortcomings, that also makes him more compassionate. He's more understanding of others. And that's where true inner peace comes from. So if we live authentically, if we accept ourselves as we are, and then we see ourselves as agents in the world of, of peace and compassion, then we can live very naturally. We can live as naturally as a leaf falls, showing front, showing back, maple leaf falls. Thank you for listening to episode 25 of The Adventures of Sariputta and Mogalana. Please feel free to reach out if you have a question you'd like me to answer here or a subject you'd like me to discuss. You can go to the podcast profile page on anchor.fm and leave me a voice message. I hope today's discussion was helpful to you. Now go save the world. <music>